bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Well, good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris Brooks. I'm the pastor here. Um, we want to be the kind of place that engages the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Isn't that awesome? I can do two things at once. My mom would be so proud. Um, I love that text that uh, Jacoby just read. Again, that's the, we're finishing out the chapter of Philippians chapter one and the alchemy of joy. And it's just an amazing cry for us as the community of God uh, to stand together. Uh, a few years back, I joined my first ch church staff. And once I got there, there had been a lot of turnover and transition. Hopefully it wasn't because I was hired, but it may have been. Um, and when I got there, we were kind of struggling as a staff to figure out our identity and how we could come together and be the kind of staff and the kind of church that was united. And so we, we were doing a good job of probably fighting with one another and then not uh, getting each other's backs. And so my pastor at the time, who was from a small town in uh, Alabama that were renamed unnamed because I'm going to use the actual name of a different family, he said, I think we should be like the Alexanders. And I'm like, who are the Alexanders? He's like, dude, they were this poor, scrappy, ornery family. You're not really sure how many kids they had, but it was above 13. And what was happening in their home, no one knows. They were constantly fighting with each other, getting in trouble. Nine out of the 10 stories he had growing up in high school revolved around an Alexander. But he said this, here's one thing that you know for certain. I said, what's that? He said, if you got in a fight with one of the Alexanders at school, by the time you got out of school and stepped out of that parking lot, all the other Alexanders were standing in line and each one of them was gonna fight you. So you had to fight every single member of the Alexander family, depending on how far you made it. From oldest to youngest, they were just gonna take you out. Why? Because you, you mess with me, you mess with my whole family. So that's what we, we had our tech stream and we called our staff the Alexanders because we wanted to remind ourselves, hey, we're in this together. We fight, we'll fight together sometimes, but we fight for one another. I think that kind of that's what Paul could be after in Philippians here is the Christian version of the Alexanders. Isn't that what you and I really want? Isn't that what would bring us an incredible amount of joy to know that we're part of a spiritual family that has chosen one another because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that we stand together, that we struggle together, that we fight together to be able to honestly look a brother or sister in the eyes and go, you're not gonna fight this alone. I've got your back, I've got your six. You and I are in this together no matter what. I think the human soul was designed for that kind of intimacy with one another and designed for it for God. So uh, we're just gonna take a look at just some real easy practical ways to do that. There's this great phrase in this text that says, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, I get really excited about that. But then I start to actually think about it and digest it. And that goes from encouraging to discouraging real quick for me. I don't know about you. Do I really live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? When I start to listen into the notes that my life plays through its words, its actions, its decisions, its choices, the treatment of others, even those closest to me, that song quickly goes from a melody that is celebration and moves to lamentation. Now, if you were my pastoral counselor, you'd be like, well, Chris, Chris, don't live under that kind of self-condemnation and self-hatred, all right? 
I understand you had a difficult childhood, but you're not the same person you are. That's exactly what the gospel is for. The gospel is there to make you worthy. And I would say you're absolutely right. And that's half the gospel. The other half is that now that I've been made worthy, I have the strength and power available to me to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. How would you answer that question if you and I were just talking? Hey, right now, are you living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? And before any of the voices of self-congratulations or self-condemnation start to infiltrate your head, maybe the first question we need to ask ourselves is, what does it actually mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Good question. I'm glad he answers it for us. Pretty straightforward and clear. But first, just a quote from an outside resource. I have Matt Purdom to thanks for this. This is uh, Sun Tzu in The Art of War. He said this, Strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. The strategy here that Paul is laying out for us is crystal clear. Live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The tactics could not be more straightforward and clear. Stand together, struggle together, fight together. These are our marching orders. We are citizens of heaven, as he refers to us as. We have been called and commissioned to live a life worthy that endears from other people's view their trust in Jesus by the way that we interact with one another as a spiritual family. So let's just break it down as simple as we possibly can and see what that looks like. So here it is. We're called to stand together. We're called to struggle together. These are the tactics. And we're called to fight together. Now, I don't know about you, man. When you start giving me like three beats like that, I'm like, awesome, let's go. And I'm ready to charge off into battle. The only problem is I'm gonna be like, uh, where's the battle and what do I do once I get there? Good question. So for all of you who are, have impulse control problems like me, this talk is for you. If it stands to reason that in order to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus, that's, that's the strategy. And the tactics are stand together, struggle together, and fight together. Do you think one way to ask yourself if you're living a life that's not worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then right now you're standing alone, you're struggling alone, and more times than not, you find yourself fighting with one another. Unfortunately, that's the reality most of us live in without intentional decisions to be a part of a gospel community and develop deep, nurturing, spiritual friendships. If I know that, do you think Satan knows that? Do you think I just revealed to you Satan's tactics? Because by the way, he's not inventive nor creative. He's the father of lies. So his goal is to give you exactly what God gave you, flip it on its head and try to convince you that that's the truth. And so here's what happens when we start to live a life that's not worthy of the gospel and believe these are the only ways that we'll survive. When you're standing alone, this is called individualism. 
I'm not writing clear or large, so I apologize because the spelling for that is suspect for me. So the more I muddle it, <laughs> the more grace that there is. This is us as rugged Americans, right? In our own strength, in our own power, in our own resources, we get what we want, when we want it, and where we want it. We're not gonna ask for help for anybody else, and when we get there, we're gonna take all the credit for it. That's fine, but what individualism leads to is when you're standing alone, eventually you're gonna come to a struggle, an adversity, or something that's sustained long enough that you cannot bear by yourself. But you've already bet your life on the fact that you're God. And when it's revealed to you in some not great ways that you make a lousy God, you can't show people weakness. You can't reach out for help because you've practiced isolating and protecting yourself. So this leads to fatalism, which is now that it's not going well, oh my goodness, I'm all alone. No one would understand. So why even bother reaching out? Even if they did, they'll eventually betray me. So the universe must be chaos. There is no meaning. This breeds fear, anxiety, loneliness, and depression. And the worst case scenario will always happen. So I better expect it and never expect anything else. And then ultimately that leads to consumerism. And what I mean by that is I don't mean retail therapy. Although if that's your struggle, feel free to insert it there. <laughs> um, what I mean is consumerism is based off of the assumption of a scarcity of goods and that you must hoard as many possessions as possible to protect yourself from the glaring obvious fact that you are alone and struggling alone. And so you find false attachments and little idols to hoard up in your tent to make you feel better about yourself. And the first second anyone dares to ask you to share your resources or even consider the fact that you have an unhealthy attachment to them, you dismiss them from your life. And all they want to do is be part of the tactics that Satan has to separate the sheep from the shepherd so that he can wound and kill you and let you die on a hill alone. And the whole time you've been asking for it because I don't know how to stand together, I don't know how to struggle together, and I don't know how to fight together. But on behalf of God's word and the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, citizens of heaven, there is a different way to live. We can, by God's grace, and by his power, we can stand together. Scripture says this in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Paul's going to tell another church, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there would be no division among you, but that you would be united in mind and thought. He's going to go on to say, stand firm together. And how can we stand firm together unless we have a firm foundation? Um, uh, confession, I used to work a lot in youth camp circles where we would do spiritual retreats for a high schooler and junior hires. I, I did it for far too many years, probably past my prime. But again, year after year, I love summer camp. I love what happened when people retreated had worship focused on God. They became unified. They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Incredible breakthroughs would happen. But year after year, as I came back, I kept hearing the same line said different ways. We came to camp last year and I was really on fire. But when I got home, it just kind of seemed to fizzle. I want to get on fire again. 
And so I, I have no problems whatsoever. There are seasons in our life where I think we are vibrant and active and we're in a season of harvesting or reaping and God is just blowing and going. And then there are desert seasons. I, I totally get that. The only problem I have with that statement is it starts out with we and it ends with I. We came to camp together and I went home. That may be your problem in the first place. And as silly and as simple as it sounds, I read this quote today, what it talked about unity is it says, logs burn hotter in a fire together. So I'm gonna ask you a question. Who are the logs in your fire pit? Who are the people that you know, you trust, hey, we burn together. It's not my job just to maintain and manufacture this. Another question I would have for you is who helps you burn with intensity and intentionality for the gospel? And if you know who that person is, move heaven and earth to make sure you're consistently around them. Another question I have for you, who or what in your life right now is smoldering or suffocating your desire for holiness? Citizens of heaven, there's a different way to live. We can stand together and we can struggle together. Exodus 17, Moses, the leader of God's people, is told by God in a battle that Joshua was going out to lead. Moses, stand with your hands and your staff above your head and while that happens, the battle will be won. Moses is up there, he's standing alone, he's fighting alone, and he is, he is the paramount leader, right? Because he's got it all together. He speaks to God in person. He doesn't need any help. I don't know about you, but just stand with your arms up sometime and see how long you can hold it. Oh, it's a piece of cake. About minute five, you're like, I have 95 pound dumbbells in my hand, okay? Jesus, either return now or I'm dropping my hands. And Moses begins to fatigue and his arms begin to drop and they begin to lose the battle. Do you know what happens? Aaron and her see what's happening, rush to his side, grab a seat for him to sit in and one on each side props up his arms. Who are the people that prop up your arms? How are you doing in the battle right now? Is it starting to get heavy? Standing alone seemed like a good idea at the beginning, but it's not longer working, is it? You know, here's what's interesting. Sometimes we got to go outside just to get confirmation what Jesus has already told us inside. Google, incredible company, which by the way, I'm convinced will one day become Skynet and invent the Terminator. But for right now, I really appreciate them making my life easy and making encyclopedias null and void. They probably have some algorithm that's listening to an app through my phone right now and could actually predict what I'm gonna say next. But in the meantime, ignorance is bliss. They put together a study over 10 years, dumped millions of dollars into it, and they wanted to know what makes the best teams possible. They called it Project Aristotle because they can do cool things like that. And they have a vested interest in making sure we've got the best teams on planet Earth so we can make a gajillion dollars, right? You know what happened after 10 years and millions of dollars? They determined this, that what makes a great team has nothing to do with personalities, genders, skills, or the people on their team. Absolutely nothing to do with it. What matters is if people feel safe and can share with one another their struggles. <laughs> Thanks, Google. Thanks for 10 years and millions of dollars for what Paul is telling us right here in a Bible you can get for free in your hotel room. Mid-level manager wanted to go, my gosh, 
Millions of dollars spent on this progress. Let's give it a shot. Takes his team off campus, sits them down and says, hey, I just want to let you guys know, buys them lunch. So glad you guys are here. We're part of my team. Hey, about six months ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and I haven't told anybody because I didn't want to burden you with it, but I just thought you should know I'm really struggling with this. And he said, first, awkward silence, awkward glances. Then one by one, they began to support and encourage him and open up about their own struggles. They call it psychological safety, where you can interpersonally risk revealing who you are to other people. Google called it Project Aristotle. We call them Bible reading groups here. The Bible calls it the family of God. And it was how you were meant to live. So I guess the question I have for you is, who's your team? Who's your people? Who's your spiritual family? Who, again, is on your left and your right hand? Who is the person that calls you when their arms are falling? Yeah, let me just stop right there because there's some of you who your identity in here tonight is being the person that someone always calls and your pride is keeping you from calling someone. You love when you get to hold someone else's arm up and you do us a disservice by not trusting us with your own burdens. So my question is, what is keeping you from allowing other people into your struggle? And what have you struggled with through that someone else is currently struggling with? You have a particular brand of brokenness that comes with a particular brand of spiritual authority to be able to speak to someone who's in the beginning journey of first acknowledging they struggle with this and they desperately need to see someone who's a couple steps ahead of them. How dare you keep that from the family of God? Perhaps you were put in that group specifically to share your struggle so that others could acknowledge their own. Citizens of heaven, there's a different way to live. We can stand together, we can struggle together, and we can fight together. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul's in prison, in a Roman prison while he's writing this. Perhaps he's looking at the Praetorian Guard. I don't even know if I pronounced that right, if it even exists, but I'm not a historian. I am a biblical scholar, okay? So what I know about Rome at the time is they've conquered pretty much the whole known world. They're like the Mac Daddy evil empire, right? And one of the ways that they did that is they perfected a military tactic. So Rome was great about they have no problems of just borrowing other people's stuff and then making it awesome. So crucifixion, they didn't invent it, they perfected it. They perfected a military strategy called the shield wall. What they would do is they would get together in their formation. I don't know if you call it a legion or some sort of Roman numeral. You can look it up on Google. They, they know. But they would literally get their shields and they were designed to lock together side by side. And once they did that, it formed an impregnable wall that when you came against it with a sword or a spear or an arrow, it would glance off. They would even do this formation in an entire square wherein the guys in the center would put it up above them. And it was noted by some historians that if they were in a tight ravine and a horse and chariot were charging them, they would be catapulted off of the shield wall. So what do they know? 
I stand together with my brothers who have struggled together so that we lock shields and we fight together. And the things that would normally devastate us alone now glance right off of us because we are more powerful when we are together. So my question for you simply is, who are you locking shields with? Who is step by step helping you advance the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness? Because literally when they would march one step at a time in sync together, taking over every inch of the empire, standing together, struggling together, fighting together. I don't know about you, but I want that to be a picture of the community that meets here on Tuesday nights. That no enemy, no weapon from the enemy formed against us will prosper. Because we stand together, we struggle together and we fight together. Um, next question is, what in your life right now are you tempted to surrender to? What are you going, I'm tired, I'm just going to stand alone, I'm going to struggle alone, and I'm going to fight with people rather than actually acknowledging it. And what would it take for you to give one last courageous effort to say, will someone lock arms with me? Will someone lock eyes with me and help me carry on because I don't know if I can do it anymore on my own? Why is this so important? It's important because you need to know based off of the reality of scripture, we just prayed before we read the scripture, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We are engaged in a battle. Most of us are unaware of it and most of us are losing it. What if our eyes were open to the true realities of the spiritual nature of the universe and that God has specifically designed us to be in the context of consistent gospel community with one another? Maybe the reason you're feeling so powerless and apathetic in your own walk with Christ is it's just your own. When will we start to invite people in and open up and go, there is only certain things I can understand, know and experience about God in the context of my brothers and sisters. Hey, look at me, I know you've been hurt. I know someone's done you wrong. I know it's a risk, but standing alone, struggling alone and fighting with one another, that's the bigger risk. And I honestly believe if you prayed this week, Jesus, Send me someone I can begin to trust or make me someone who attracts trustworthy people. He would answer it. You were designed to stand together, struggle together and fight together. And why? Because you have a Jesus who stood alone in your place on the cross, who struggled and was tempted in every way that we were tempted and yet remained sinless and fought and defeated the powers of Satan, sin, and death so that he could raise up an army of sons and daughters that stand together, that struggle together, and that fight together. Amen? Amen. So let's take 120 seconds and just kind of lean in and listen in. This is a time for you to process the voice of God in your life and what you heard tonight and what had your name on it. If that's something that you're used to doing, just go ahead and start journaling. Start writing, taking some notes in your phone. God, here's what I think you're saying to me and here's what I need to do about it. That's a new exercise for you. I'd simply ask you to identify which one needs the most attention in your life right now.
Is it standing alone? Is it struggling alone? Or is it fighting with one another? Which one does the Holy Spirit go? Yeah, you and I, we need to have a conversation about that. And then I would simply ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind someone you can reach out to this week so that you no longer are standing alone, struggling alone, or fighting with one another, but that you could begin to embrace the life that God's called you to live, which is a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's listen together.